Welcome to the Lorecast, where we look into the lore and the stories by which we live. I'm Dr. Craig Chalkwist, and you can find us at chalkwist.com slash podcast and at a number of other online venues. In 1786, one of the founders of the United States was writing to another founder. George Washington commented, what astonishing changes a few years are capable of producing. I'm told that even respectable characters speak of a monarchical form of government without horror. What a triumph for the advocates of despotism to find that we are incapable of governing ourselves and that systems founded on the basis of equal liberty are merely ideal and fallacious. He was writing to John Jay who wrote back in agreement with Washington, and he said that he feared citizens, quote, will be led by the insecurity of property, the losing of confidence in their rulers, and the want of public faith and rectitude to consider the charms of liberty imaginary and delusive. And then he's commented that they would welcome whoever promised them security. So in this podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the splitting that's going on, not just in the United States, but also in other countries as well. Although, since I live in the U.S., I'll focus on this place. And uh, this podcast is a parallel to a blog I wrote called Let's Repair the Liberty Bell. So I'm going to say a little bit about that, too. And if you want to see that blog, if you go to my website, chalkwist.com slash blog, you'll see it in there. So a little background on me, just so my perspective is clear. Um, My ancestors have been in this country, both on the birth side of the family and the adoptive side, for a very long time. Uh, On the adoptive side, since the 1850s, which isn't that long. On the birth side, on actually both sides of my birth family, since the year 1630. When I met my birth father some years ago, he mentioned... James Pyland, who is one of our ancestors, he was in the House of Burgesses in Virginia Colony, and um, he got kicked out for being against the dictator Cromwell. (laughs) I've also been a U.S. citizen my whole life. I've lived here my whole life, and um, I was raised in a Republican conservative family, and then I went off to college and uh, was exposed to a lot of liberal thought there. I work in higher ed, so a lot of liberal thought there. Um, So I've kind of got influences on both sides of the highly polarized at present political house. But growing up, it wasn't so polarized. Um, My parents would make disparaging comments about liberals and free thinkers every now and then. But, um, you know, when President Nixon in the 70s started doing all that work on behalf of the environment, even declaring one year to be the year of the environment, my parents were all for that. A lot of people in this country were. And although my parents definitely identified with the Republican side of things, on one occasion they actually went outside the party to vote for Kennedy, and 
uh, on a second occasion, they did it to vote for President Obama. So they didn't have this rigid ideology that said that the other side is just the enemy. They're just not human. They're not us, right? So there was some opposition there, but not to that extent. So now, of course, it's the opposition is so great that, um, you know, we I think we all know what Republicans, um, not all of them, fortunately, but the more extreme ones are saying about liberals being anything from child molesters to possessed by aliens and all kinds of crazy stuff. And on the liberal side of things and um, Democrat and liberal aren't necessarily the same thing. So I'm generalizing a bit um, for conciseness, but. Uh, I, I've never heard anything in higher ed, uh, at least in the circles that I inhabit, that has ever been positive about Republicans or conservatives. Um, I've never heard, for that matter, heard anyone ever said they were a patriot or that they love their country, which I do. In fact, uh, I'm getting some pushback on that article about the crack in the Liberty Bell because I suggested that uh, at bottom, liberal and conservative are two vital psychologies they live in all of us we tend to identify more with one than the other um, i think they're both basic tendencies in human nature and there is such a thing as being a conscious liberal and a conscious conservative and my liberal friends aren't liking that um, <laughs> the conservatives in my family don't read my work so they haven't commented yet but what we have now in the states is a situation so high, highly polarized that there's actually large blocks of the electorate who are all in favor of a strong man taking over, which is why I read those quotations at the beginning. Um, they're willing to subvert elections. They're willing to get behind a candidate with um, 91 felony charges against him at last count, um, convicted of sexual assault and um, all, all the other things that he's done. So that he's even a serious candidate is terrifying. And so the article I wrote looks at that crack in the Liberty Bell as a symbol of what we're going through right now. And there was never a time in this country that was harmonious, not, not ever. Um, right at the beginning, of course, slavery and massacre of indigenous people here and uh, other things too. Um, you know, even among groups of white settlers on the East Coast, before there was a country, when they were still the colonies, um, after, during and after the Declaration of Independence, there were people calling themselves patriots who were going after British loyalists by burning their houses down, by hanging them, shooting them. So it's always been a tumultuous um, country in terms of uh, once Europeans got here. So to me, it's not surprising that the Liberty Bell, which was actually cast in Pennsylvania for the state house there originally, it cracked on the very first test ring. <laughs> and then it cracked again on George Washington's birthday when they rang it for President's Day. So, um, and they made attempts to, to uh, fix it. They even recast it at one point, but um, they only ended up widening the crack. And so that's what we're stuck with today. We're stuck with a crack in the national soul. And as long as that's true, liberty can't ring. In the UK, they have their own version of this. It's called Brexit and all the wounds that tore open. And similar story in many other countries. So the first point I want to make is that this goes all the way back. And 
I could quote you from pretty much all the founders of this country that um, were ashamed of slavery even while they participated in it. So Washington wrote against slavery. He had slaves. Madison wrote against them. A bunch of people did. And the colonies, at least a fifth of the population, were slaves. And uh, if the measure of greatness of a country is in how it treats its own people, we've never been a great country. And at the same time, though, I think we have the potential to be if we get things right and repair the crack in the Liberty Bell on the inside as well as the outside. I think the American Revolution is not finished. And we can finish it if enough of us of good conscience and real integrity and deep love of this place and each other get together and insist that it be finished for everybody. For everybody. That's who we the people are. Not just Christians, not just white Christians, not just men, but everybody. And if we manage to dream together and make the changes that were needed instead of lying to ourselves about leading the world in this or in that and what a great example we provide and all, all of that, we could actually do that. So let's look a little bit at where this polarization started. Um, some people point to right-wing media. That's certainly one source. Um, Fox has always been highly polarized. It was created by people who had that as a political agenda. There's been other associations, too, going back further, John Bircher's and, um, you know, all the way back. But social media and media technology vastly amplified not just their voices, but also, paradoxically, the power of insulation. Previously, a white supremacist would have to kind of quietly go to uh, the houses of other white supremacists in order to hang out and plan things together. Now, a mouse click, and you're in the company of thousands of other people who think like you do. So that's what I mean by the amplifying power of social media tech and just tech in general. And um, this also, by the way, is one of the reasons that in the fiction that I write, set in what I call the assembling terrania cycle, there are calls for an international regulatory agency that can slow down technological developments until the consequences are properly assessed. So it's not to bar progress or innovation in any way. It's to slow it down so it doesn't immediately get dumped on the market and start causing hazardous consequences to pretty much everybody. AI is a great example. They just ch they dumped chat GTP on the market and thousands of people lost their jobs. Another consequence in higher ed, there's probably thousands if not millions of students now writing papers without writing them. They just go into ChatGTP and they say, give me an essay on this, and then they tighten it up a little and send it in. And so this media tech is so powerful now that there are actually people among us who believe the earth is flat. This, this was a minority opinion even back in antiquity. Every sailor knew that a ship goes hull down over the horizon. It, this was a later fantasy that people came up with that the earth was flat. And uh, now there's people who seriously maintain that it is. So that's how powerful the delusion-creating ability of tech has become. Here's another example of a lie that's gaining traction. Um, it's the one that the U.S. was created as a Christian nation. That is flatly not true. 
if you read the letters and the political writings of the founders, they were unanimous in saying that religion is a private matter. There was one founder who was okay with reading prayers in schools, but that was about as far as he went. The rest of them, all of them knew, A, religion is private, and B, people should have whatever religion they want, including none whatsoever. Jefferson was not a Christian, going by his autobiography. Thomas Paine was not a Christian. Ethan Allen probably was not a Christian. And the ones that were tended to be deists, which was the philosophical position that God is kind of a distant creator figure and doesn't intervene in ordinary human affairs. So in my Liberty Bell article, I gave several examples of founders commenting on the place of religion and government, namely none whatsoever except to declare freedom of religion for everybody. And the Christian nationalist agenda of making this a Christian country and imposing Christianity, I would argue, is fundamentally un-American, not just for the reasons I mentioned, but plurality, unity and plurality is the very soul of this country. And imposing a single belief system on people completely undermines the foundation. The strength of this country has always been in whatever inclusiveness we can muster. The weakness of this country has always been in the way powerful people oppress other groups. So plurality, inclusivity, variety, the more contemporary term is diversity and equity, these are the soul of the country. And when we betray them, we betray its very soul. So I've suggested that Perhaps the time is high for a declaration of interdependence to supplement the original declaration of independence. And the first principle, which I just mentioned, would be unity and diversity. The second would be democracy for all. And what I mean is a democracy that's inclusive that gives people voice, that gives people the power to live the kinds of lives they intend for themselves. Not just democracy for the rich, or for the Christian, or for the white, or for Supreme Court judges that are bribable, but a real democracy. The third principle of a declaration of interdependence would be economic and political liberty. And uh, to quote from Federalist number 79, in the general course of human nature, a power over a man's subsistence amounts to a power over his will. Political freedom doesn't mean much if we don't have economic freedom, too. So there's other principles, too, including um, freedom from the pressure of religion. And uh, you can read about those in my article. But... Um, Here's a, a comment or two about that principle, um, since this is up in the public consciousness right now. So uh, in 1753, Ben Franklin wrote a letter to Joseph Huey, who was a Christian, and he said, um, The faith you mentioned has doubtless its use in the world. I do not desire to see it diminished. <clears throat> nor would I endeavor to lessen it in any man, but I wish it were more productive of good works than I have generally seen it. I mean real good works, works of kindness, charity, mercy, and public spirit. 
So James Madison was raised Episcopalian and was a Christian and a deist, and this is what he said in a letter to William Bradford. Religious bondage shackles and debilitates the mind and unfits it for every noble enterprise, every expanded prospect. George Washington was a Christian and a deist, and um, he was so convinced that religion should be private that even when he would uh, openly call for divine intervention, he would always say providence, he wouldn't say God, and he never kneeled in church. So this is Washington to Sir Edward Newenham. Religious controversies are always productive of more acrimony and irreconcilable hatreds than those which spring from any other cause. And I was not without hopes that the enlightened and liberal policy of the present age would have put an effectual stop to contentions of this kind. Benjamin Rush was the founder I mentioned earlier who was okay with um, using the Bible in schools. However, in a letter to Jefferson in the year 1800, he said, I agree with you likewise in your wishes to keep religion and government independent of each other. Were it possible for St. Paul to rise from his grave at the present juncture, he would say to the clergy who are now so active in settling the political affairs of the world, cease from your political labors, your kingdom is not of this world. Read my epistles. Here's a few from uh, Thomas Jefferson, who is extremely critical of religion, Christianity in particular, including its uh, clergy, which he said in general were out for profit, power, and preeminence. He said that to John Adams in 1814. In letters, he said, it is in our lives, not from our words, that our religion must be read. And he also said, history, I believe, furnishes no example of a priest-ridden people maintaining a free government. In his Notes on the State of Virginia, which is considered one of the founding political, doc political documents of the Republic, he said, um, the legitimate powers of government extend to such acts only as are injurious to others. But it does me no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no god. And one more from uh, John Adams. He said to Jefferson, um, it would be better for Christians to purify Christendom from its corruptions. He said it would be better to do that than to, for it to do missionary work. So those are just a few examples. There's several others in the article I wrote. Um, as many people have pointed out, if the, the country were intended to be Christian, which it clearly was not, uh, it was intended so that Christianity would be one of any faiths people wanted to practice. But if it had been set up as Christian, there would be countless references to God and Jesus in the Constitution. There are zero. There are two references to religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. First Amendment to the Constitution. In the original one, Article 6, Paragraph 3, the senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this constitution, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. What we have instead of all that at this time in our history is an opportunity to remind ourselves that 
our bonds to each other transcend not only religion but blood, economics, and all the other things that would divide us from sitting down with each other and being together. Thank you.